Okay, so a couple of things here to clean up from yesterday as you bring in Matt Marchese and kick off the show here. By the way, this is the final show of the season, so it's kind of like cleanup day a little bit here. Going to go over a couple of little things. There's nothing major, major happening right now, although we're going to have a conversation about what's happening with Vladimir Tarasenko and what's happening with Alex Dabrinkit. But a couple of things uh, from yesterday. Oh, actually, from today, defenseman Travis Hamannick re-ups with the Ottawa Senators. Uh, Two-year deal, $2.2 million, so the AAV is one point one, and he gets a no trade clause. I mean, everybody gets a no trade clause, right? Depth defensemen get no trade clauses now. Uh, Connor Carrick. Uh, this is all stuff after we went off the air yesterday. Connor Carrick signed a one-year deal with the Seattle Kraken. Connor Carrick, by the way, might be the smartest player in hockey. If you've ever had a conversation with Connor Carrick, you know that it can run the gamut from, well, hockey to philosophy to history to literature. He's that guy, and he's a really good podcaster. Uh, Will Butcher signs with the Pittsburgh Penguins, so Kyle Dubas gets a uh, another defenseman. It is one year, 775, 775 on Connor Carrick as well. And uh, I got one for you, Matt Marchese. So the Winnipeg Jets... Uh, bring back Axel Janssen Fialbi, one point five five million uh, over two years, so seven seventy five is the AAV. And Raphael Harvey Pinard signs a two year deal with the Montreal Canadiens. It's an extension. It's two point two, so that means the AAV is one point one. So two hyphenated names go back to back yesterday. And correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe you can put on your uh, I'm smarter than everybody hat here, Matt Marchese. <clears throat> I think there's only been one double hyphenated name in the history of the NHL. Double Do hyphenated? Double hyphenated name. I think it's the only one in the history of the game. Oh, uh, it's got to be. Double hyphenated name. Yeah, I think I know who it is. Is it Jean-Luc Grandpierre? Jean-Luc Grandpierre, yeah, who's now a studio analyst with the Columbus Blue Jackets. I think he's the only double hyphenated player in the history of the game. Can you think of another double hyphenated guy? Not, not really, right? Not off the top of my head. Um, I'm, I will try and Google double hyphenated hockey player and see what comes up. Because usually when you type in Google exactly what you're looking for, you get it. Yeah. But uh, I'm not sure that, yeah. that I'm going to get this one. Um Double hyphenated hockey yeah. player after the Google. Oh, oh, oh hold on, hold on, right hold on. Now. We got another Pierre, one. Pierre Luc Letourneau LeBlanc. <gasps> Pierre Luc Letourneau LeBlanc. There's two. Tough. Okay, hang on. Two this tough is, guys, this, right? This is like this that's is another tight. thing. Oh yeah, Letourneau LeBlanc. <gasps> oh, that's really good, Maddie. Oh. So yeah. when you do Google exactly okay, what you're looking for, you guys. find it. Oh, I forgot about Letourneau LeBlanc. And you're right, two really tough guys. Um, yeah. Okay, so there you go. So that is the, uh, that's the excitement of today's show, <laughs> trying to find doubly hyphenated <laughs> hockey players' names that kick things off here. This is exactly how the last show would Clean end, honestly. Day. Of course, man, with like the minutia of hockey. Oh, by the way, speaking of the minutia of hockey, I got a great tweet from someone. Someone uh, at Leafs Therapy says, oh, this is so good. <clears throat> I hope McCabe scores in his own net and Domi starts fighting other teams' fans in the box. Only then will it be a flashback. <laughs> Do you know That's the when hockey Chris comes Falcone? full circle. Yeah. yeah. Do you know the name Chris Falcone? So Chris Falcone was the, uh, uh, I don't know if he's a cement truck driver. He's a cement worker. He was the guy that fell in the penalty box with Max Domi's dad, Ty, um, so many years ago after after Ty gave him a little squirt with the water bottle. 
Um, I spent a weekend with him in Philadelphia in a, during a playoff series. So it's when I was doing the old Leafs lunch show on 640 with Waters. We ran a promotion with all of our fans and took a bus down to Philadelphia. I think it was for game... I think it was for game two. I think it was a four to one loss. Aki Berg scored the only goal for the Maple Leafs. And uh, Falcone just like reached out out of the blue. No, no, no. Wait, we had him on the show. That's what it was. We had him on the show and we kept in touch. And he said, listen, when you get to Philadelphia, um, you know, leave your wallets in the hotel because you're you're on my dime. And he took us all over, like toured Philly, all of it, the Rocky Steps, all of it, Liberty Bell, like the, the whole deal. Took us out to dinners and breakfasts and lunches, like did not open up the onion wallet. And it's called an onion wallet because every time you open it, you start crying. Could not have been a nicer guy. And I remember asking him like, Chris, like, why did you do that? Like, what are you thinking? I get that you're beacon at the dome and he gives you the squirt and you're irate. He goes, I didn't know the glass was going to break. You think I'm stupid? <laughs> Not a chance. You think I'm going to try to dive into a penalty box with Ty Domi? Not a freaking chance. Anyway, Chris Falcone mentioned on the show today to wrap things up for this season. So we've got uh, Le Tourneau LeBlanc, we've got Grand Pierre, and we've got Chris Falcone. That's the start of the show today. So let's get into, uh, and by the way, I should let you know here, if I was a good host, I would have done this off the top. Sean Reynolds from the NHL on Sportsnet is going to catch us up on everything happening in Winnipeg Jets land, where we saw the big deal, the Pierre-Luc Dubois deal, and a couple of really good players come back the other way, and Gabriel Velarde and Alex Iafalo. Um, And it seems right now everyone's kind of doing... A pause. <clears throat> Everyone's taking a pause. Everyone's taking a breather. If you expected like this flurry of trades from Kevin Chevel Day off, you know, as soon as the draft hit, not so fast. It looks like they're very much going to take their time. Um, but we'll see what the latest is. And, you know, could we see a scenario where one or both of those players, and we saw the Blake Wheeler buyout, he's now a New York Ranger on a one year deal. Is it possible that one or both of those players ends up ends up back with Winnipeg at least to start the season next year? We'll see. We'll get into that with Sean Reynolds here in a couple of moments. Also, Jana Hefford is going to stop by. Now, previous to last Thursday, when the, um, uh, the uh, Mark Walter Sports Group and Billie Jean King Enterprises purchased the Premier Hockey Federation, Jana Hefford's title with the uh, the PWHPA, which is the union uh, representing the players in this new league, was operations consultant. Uh, I'm told she will be, um, essentially she'll take the lead in hockey operations. Um, that's going to be her title in this new league. She's going to stop by at the bottom of the hour, uh, get her perspective on the sale, the future, the launch, all of it. Uh, that's coming in January, folks. Um, training camp, I believe, is going to be in November, and then the whole thing launches in January. Peter Baugh is going to stop by from The Athletic. Um, the Avalanche have been busy. Chris McFarland, Joe Sackick have been real busy here, whether it's the Ryan Johansson deal, uh, whether it's getting Ross Colton. I love that deal. For the Avalanche, I really do. Uh, Miles Wood comes in on a pretty long ticket. Like, who gets term? Miles Wood got term. Jonathan Drouin um, tries to to revive the career here. You know, maybe he'll ride shotgun uh, with his old junior hockey running mate in Halifax, Nathan McKinnon. We'll see. Uh, Andrew Cogliano and Jack Johnson return as well for the Avalanche. So Peter Bog gets us caught up on the Avs, uh, who look to get back on the uh, back into the Stanley Cup conversation after a very disappointing first-round exit. And we'll finish up with Mike Russo of The Athletic. Mike, as we all know, covers the Minnesota Wild, although he does a lot of feature writing as well and is excellent at it. 
And I think the the one thing we should probably talk about is how the Minnesota Wild clearly are going to win the Stanley Cup, Maddie, because they have Patrick Maroon. And what I was always told in hockey is wherever Patrick Maroon goes, the Stanley Cup follows. Isn't that right? Uh, that's what I've been told. That I, I heard that they were the, the betting favorite now to get out of the Western Conference. Of course. So we'll, uh, that, that's the program today, the, uh, the, the last episode of the season, and we'll give way to, to more baseball coverage um, and such. In the meantime, Vlad Tarasenko. You know how at the, um, at the end of the free agent period, you know, the music starts to wind down and you look around and almost everybody's grabbed chairs and the chairs that are there, you know, maybe they don't have four legs on them. Maybe they have three, maybe, you know, look, maybe they, they look like they're cracked a little bit and you really don't want to be sitting down in them. But you know, if you're going to play, you got to sit down in one of these chairs. It's kind of the situation that Vlad Tarasenko finds himself in right now. Like there are moments I think when players have, you know, the good hard look at themselves and how they got to where they're at right now. And Maddie, I can't help wondering if that's where Vladimir Tarasenko is right now. Now, Shannon Goldman reported last night that it sounds like um, he's going to end up a member of the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, there have been, I think, Ottawa inquired about Tarasenko. I know Nashville did. I think there was something with San Jose uh, as well, but uh, Sheen is saying that it looks like uh, Carolina ends up with Vladimir Tarasenko, and it's probably going to be a, as we say, Maddie, value deal, which means it's a value for the team. Uh, your thoughts on the Tarasenko situation here? It's funny because when I saw Shayna's report and I said, okay, like that makes a lot of sense for, for Carolina for obvious reasons. They had, uh, they had a little bit of trouble scoring goals, especially after Andrei Svechnikov went down and then, you know, they basically didn't have Max Pacioretty for the entire season aside from a couple games. But what I will say is this, when, when you talk about the, the chairs not being available, they're a little broken. In some cases, the player goes to a team that is maybe a a more of a contender, a more well-rounded roster. They take the one-year deal, and then they could be setting themselves up for another big contract. And I think that's what a lot of guys are looking at. And and I don't know if that was Tarasenko and his agent's play right from the get-go, but I look at Tyler Bertuzzi, for example, Mm -hmm. with Toronto. He's going to set himself up potentially, if he could stay healthy, uh, for what could be a, a really big contract for him. And I think Tarasenko, if he goes to a yep. place like Carolina, could really find himself in that same boat. And, I mean, you could do a lot worse than the Carolina Hurricanes with that coach there. So um, they're looking for offense. Oh, he would well, yeah, be a trigger man. I, I really like it if he ends up there. You're going to a Stanley Cup contender right away if it ends up being Carolina, as uh, Shana suspects, and I think a lot of us suspect as well. Uh, one really quick note, as uh, as noon has passed, Philip Zadina has cleared waivers. Now, Zadina was a uh, junior player with the Halifax Mooseheads. Um, that was the player Detroit took over, players like Quinn Hughes. I know that one still stings, um, but nonetheless, gift of, gift of the Vancouver Canucks there. Um, that was the Rasmus Dallin. You just mentioned Sveshnikov. Andre Sveshnikov goes second. Jesperi Kotkaniemi third. And Brady Kachuk fourth. Philip Zadina. Now, the Detroit Red Wings had been trying to trade him. I'm not sure how long they were at it. Certainly over the weekend, uh, they were trying to make a move with, with Philip Zadina, um, place him on waivers, and no one's interested. So that is a difficult situation, certainly for that player. 
Um, it seems as if he does very much need the change of scenery. Uh, we'll see what happens with Philip Zadina. Sixth overall pick. Once upon a time, Maddie. Sixth overall pick. You can't miss on your guys that high. No. You know, it's always been said before, you know, you miss on your first round or you set your organization back one, maybe two years. When it's that high, you really can't miss. You really can't miss. No, you can't. And that's where the Detroit Red Wings find themselves in. Like, there was a time where everybody's like, oh, don't worry. The Red Wings will just get a sixth-round pick and turn them into a superstar. It, that's not happening anymore because everybody feels <laughs> like they're on the same level playing field. So when you're as bad as the Red Wings have been over the last, you know, four years, you better hit on those players. They hit on Mo Sider. That was obviously a great pick. But the Zadina one really stands out, especially when you look at some of the guys that went around them. Yeah, it's uh, it's true. Okay, so the other now here's here's another one here. Speaking of the Detroit Red Wings, man, this has been kind of it, at least it feels this way. Come here, go away. Come here, go away. Come here, go away. Um, at various times, I've maintained that I don't see a way that Alex DeBrinket doesn't end up a member of the Detroit Red Wings, and I still kind of feel that way, even though at times it looked like he wasn't going to end up a member of the Detroit Red Wings. There's still no trade uh, from the Ottawa Senators. Um, we do know that I that uh, there was some interest from Anaheim. I'm not sure that uh, DeBrinket's camp thought that that was a fit. Um, I still think that there's interest from the New York Islanders. Um, that one would be a pretty sizable deal considering the numbers involved and considering how up against the salary cap the Islanders are. I think they only have a million dollars. And they still have Oliver Wallstrom to, to sign and a decision on Zach Parisi as well. Um, so that one would be, that would be an interesting one. Now, he doesn't have a no-trade clause. There's no, you know, mo- no move restrictions here. So I know a lot of people are looking at this and saying, well, why doesn't Dorian just trade him to wherever he wants? And the answer is he becomes a more attractive player that can get you a bigger return um, if a contract is attached to it, i.e. a sign and trade. So that's where the DeBrinket situation is right now. Like as we do this program, Tuesday, July 4th, 2.14 Eastern, it sounds like the two teams that are in the DeBrinket sweepstakes here are the Detroit Red Wings and the New York Islanders. That's where we're at. Uh, We'll pick up this conversation in a little bit. In the meantime, let's get on the Winnipeg Jets page with Sean Reynolds, our good friend from the NHL on Sportsnet. He, after all, covers the Winnipeg Jets. Sean, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Jeff? Uh, I'm doing great, man. Uh, I'm doing really well. First of all, uh, last time I saw you, we were uh, sharing a cab together uh, at the draft. And speaking of the draft, I, I am curious what the fan reaction is because I thought it was a home run pick for the Winnipeg Jets for a couple of reasons. One, um, it's a really good player. And two, it's a player that I would imagine would stay. If you look at his history and you look at the market that he's been playing in in the OHL, namely Owen Sound, the smallest market, um, that's not someone that, you know, oh, I'm going to get my way out. I'm going to get to a bigger market ASAP. What has Winnipeg done with the Car- Colby Barlow pick? I think this is an absolute perfect fit for the Winnipeg Jets. Not only because of what you're talking about, Colby Barlow. I had a I had a conversation with him. Um, sounds like he's very happy to come to Winnipeg. Everything I hear about him is he's the kind of guy that if he comes here and has you know this great career, and the Jets want to lock him, 
down long term and make him a lifelong Winnipeg Jet seems like the kind of guy who will who would be open to doing that, which is you know always what they want in Winnipeg because they've had their share of players yep. trying to flee Winnipeg. Um, but beyond that, you talked about it. Here's this guy who seems to put the team first at every single turn and yet puts up huge points right so this isn't the guy who's like out there trying to chisel for points or you know sitting at the blue line tapping the stick holding his stick in the air he is a team first guy and still puts up great individual numbers but what's happening in winnipeg clearly blake wheeler gets bought out this isn't uh blake wheeler can't play anymore so let's buy him out this is blake wheeler needs to go because the culture needs to change in this organization the biggest problem with the winnipeg jets over the years has been their culture. It hasn't been their skill level. It hasn't been their talent. Um, and you get a guy who everyone is saying is their future captain. who's going to walk in the room as an 18 year old and all the guys around him, you know, Rucker McGordy, who's a pick of theirs and a great leader in his own Chaz Lucius uh, players like that. Um, Brad Lambert, these guys are going to look to this guy as their leader right off the bat is what we're being told. Um, this guy has future Winnipeg Jets captain, written all over him and for a team that desperately needs a dose of improved culture. This player is exact brings yeah. exactly that to the room. Uh, I love that we're talking about the fact that he might be the captain. He hasn't played a single game yet. So the Winnipeg Jets, but you're right like that. It, but that's been like, if you look at Colby Barlow's history, that's that, that's kind of an it's everywhere he's gone. Um, so it, it feels very much right now. You're there. So you can tell us better. It feels very much right now. Like everyone's taking a step back. Like there was, to your point, the Wheeler buyout, there was uh, the Pierre-Luc Dubois trade, and it seems as if right now everyone's just sort of pushed away from the table and said, hold on, let's go have a walk around the block before we get back to the table to have another plate here. Is that is that the way it feels for you? I think what it was was that needed to decide uh, what they were going to do heading into free agency, and that was all very dependent on who they were able to buy out, who they were able to move. Once they hadn't moved Hellebuck and Shifley by that point and didn't get what they wanted for it, you can see very clearly with Kevin Sheveldayoff, he will not move a guy. He gets what he wants. So he didn't get that from those two players. So he's approached free agency as though he's building a team with those two players on it. Now, do I think they'll be there? I don't. Uh, Both these players, I'm fairly certain, are not going to re-sign in Winnipeg. They can't afford to lose them for nothing. Um, But I think what's happened here is it's not necessarily sitting and taking a step away from the table. I think they're letting the market reset. They let the teams go out and find out what they could do during the draft, find out what they could do during unrestricted Mm -hmm. free agency. And now it's like, okay, everything's set. Now we know what the new rules are going forward. And now they're waiting for the teams to come back and say, okay, we need a Connor Hellebuck. We need a Mark Shifley. Here's what we're willing to offer. And the Pierre-Luc Dubois trade, as I said, has made it clear. Kevin Chevaldeoff won't move those players unless he gets what he wants. So he's just waiting for someone to come with the package that's good enough for what he wants. Hey, just as a quick aside um, for Rangers fans listening, what are they getting in Blake Wheeler at this point in his career? Well, I mean, you're getting a guy who's chasing a Stanley Cup, uh, who's uh, you know not a league minimum, but like eight hundred thousand dollars is a steal of a deal. This guy had five point five million last year. If you give Blake Wheeler space, he's still one of the most dangerous guys in the game. So if you can put him on your power play, if you can put him how he came in, he said, I'm going to take a lot of really good players on this team and try and make them better. He can do that. He can wheel and deal. He can still pass. He can do all those things. He doesn't have the speed anymore. If you take away his time and space, he gets really ineffective. He takes a lot of bad penalties 
because he's not fast enough to keep up with anyone anymore. But if he's used under the right mm-hmm. context, he can be an extremely helpful player. And the fact that you're only paying him 800000 a year means you can use him in that context. If you're only using him for 12 minutes, 14 minutes a night, you're getting more than the value that you're paying into the player. So it, he can be used properly. Yeah. I think they've got an established culture so he doesn't come in and take it over. It's, it's probably a good move for that team. You know, I always wonder about that, Sean. You know, players that go to new teams and they don't have to they don't have to be leaders they can just be hockey players you know yeah. like um you know Shifley is going to go somewhere else and he can maybe it's Boston Bergeron makes his decision who knows um and he could just go be a player like I always wondered about I'll, I'll tell you <clears throat> I always wondered about Jonathan Taves this way I always wondered what Jonathan Taves would be like if he could quote unquote just be a hockey player and not have to worry about, you know, the burden of captaincy and carry the team on the shoulders and take care of everybody and make sure the young kids are blah, 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 and all of that, all those extra responsibilities, but just go and be a hockey player. And I kind of look at the Wheeler situation and I say to myself, you know, as much as, you know, I'm sure, you know, Wheeler loved, you know, running the room hot, him and him and Shifley, et cetera, there's got to be part of them that's like, okay, you know what? Now I can just go and I can just be a hockey player and that's it. See, the thing about that is I agree with you 100%. We see that example happen time and time again. But Blake Wheeler was stripped of his captaincy last year and given the opportunity to be exactly that. And what ended up happening was the season ends, the team is in open revolt against their head coach, which I still think is such a black mark on the organization. And who's right in the center of that? It's, it's, it's Blake Wheeler, right? Like the team had said, hey, you took away his seat. It doesn't mean he's not our leader. Uh, Blake Wheeler was the first one to come out and kind of speak out against the coach. I'm thinking a 36-year-old former captain should be the first guy to say, you know what, maybe it's not a good idea to go to war with our coach openly in the media the way that they did um my question when it comes to that is i don't know that blake wheeler has it in him to sit on the sidelines and do exactly what you're talking about he's the kind of player who i I just i don't know that he can help saying what he needs to say pointing out what he thinks needs to be pointed out um I i think he's going there with that intention but Blake Wheel is a person I've had conversations with, and uh, he, he's always said, like, impulse control is not his thing. And I get the sense that, you know, frustrations come through. <laughs> At some point, Blake yeah. Wheeler is going to be standing up in that room telling the New York Rangers what he thinks, whether that's going to go over well or not. I guess that's what we're waiting to see. So I really liked the Vlad Domestikov deal for the Winnipeg Jets. Was there one or two, or were there one or two that really stood out for you? Like I listen, I I love you know tough players, so I like the Jeffrey Vial deal, etc. But were there were there one or two deals that Kevin Chevaldeoff pulled off that you were really impressed by? Nemestikov was important for the city of Winnipeg because it's not often that you pick up a player. Like usually, what players would do is they'd come to Winnipeg. Uh, at the trade deadline, they'd use it to play with really good players around there, juice their numbers, and then walk out and get a really great, great yeah. contract elsewhere, right? Like Paul Staffney did that a couple of years ago. He ended up back in Winnipeg, yeah. but he used Winnipeg as a springboard. Nemesnikov, we were wondering, because we took a look around. I noticed him for the first time. I covered him in 2015 uh, at the cup final between Tampa and Chicago. And then I saw, saw him start bouncing around the league, and I was like, I know this guy's a really good player. I'm wondering why he's not kind of locked in he came to winnipeg 
really found a place. The room loves him. It sounds like players are begging to play with him. Nick Ehlers just absolutely adores playing with him. And so I think it was important because not only did the Winnipeg Jets bring him in and show him that there was a place he could play, be himself, and be given an opportunity, uh, but but that he was able to find a little bit of stability here in Winnipeg. So I think that was a really, really important one. Bringing Lauren Brassois in is important because here's what it does. is if uh, It gives a little bit of freedom to Kevin Shovel day off in that if he's going to move Connor Hellebuck, he doesn't have to land a full-on starting goaltender. The, the highest level that he needs to do is go out now and get a tandem goaltender, right? So it makes it easier for him to trade that player, have the Jets be competitive next year. And, you know, if they move him and they don't get much in the way of a goaltender back, they've got Colin Delia. And so he's a guy that a lot of the goaltender coaches out there think has more to give than we've seen. So if he ends up playing the backup role and Lauren Brossois is your starter, it's not terrible. But at the same time, Lauren Brossois isn't such an overriding figure that if Connor Hellebuck has to stay, that he's not going to cause any kind of issues. Chevy, for the most part, when he makes his moves and gets what he wants, he usually knows what he wants and what he wants works, right? So if he can pull that off, mm-hmm. it, it usually bodes well for the Jets. And I think he most definitely did that in the Mesnikov deal, the Delia deal, and the, uh, uh, the Lauren Brassois deal. When when you look at the uh, the business still ahead here for Kevin Day off, and you know, the obvious two are the obvious two, Mark Shifley and Connor Hellebuck, is it a matter of they need specific positions and specific types of players back or do they just need you know youngish good players that are under team control well i i think i've seen a shift like before this everyone would always talk about you know the jets have been that pick that a lot of guys always look and say oh this is their year they're going to do really well and the reason is because you looked at their lineup and they just had so much skill up and down the lineup I see what they're doing right now as a shift in philosophy. They're thinking, let's be more of a L.A. Kings-type team, a Seattle Kraken-type team that is just deeper and deeper and guys who go out and compete and are hard to play against. Let's see where that takes us. So I... I do. I don't think they need a specific type of player. I think you can make volume trades with them, and usually people hate those, right? You you trade a star player, and people yeah. say, "Well, whoever got the best player in the deal won the trade." I think the Jets are like they did with Pierre Luc Dubois. Pierre Luc Dubois is the best player in that trade, but getting Ifau, getting Velarde, getting Safari, I think the Jets are willing to say, "We're going to take three guys for one, have a really good line, be that much deeper, and now we're going to be." the Seattle Kraken who are going to take a run on a team like the Colorado Avalanche and knock them out and then give the Dallas Stars everything they can handle in the playoffs. So I don't think it's a specific yeah. type of player. Uh, they, they've, they, I think what they've been looking at is the teams that they've wanted to deal with haven't had the young prospects that they want. So they're open to moving around, but they want to compete next year. They want to be like the Seattle Kraken. They want to grind you down. They want to have depth. So you better bring that to the table if you're coming for those points. And they'll always have skill, and that's why I, uh, I, I turn the conversation in the couple of moments that we have left with you here, Sean. I, I want to turn the conversation to, to someone who, you know, before he got injured, uh, for my money, he was making Calder noise, and that's Cole Perfetti. Um, all, are, we, are, are we already at a point where we say this is a big season for Cole Perfetti because it feels that way already for the kid? I don't see it that way. I think there's, you know, a player like Nikolai Ehlers, I think, could take the heat off because all the analytics folks will tell you and all the eye test people, basically everyone will tell you that the Jets have not mined enough of what Nikolai Ehlers can do. 
Um, I fully agree with that. So there's a player like him who probably now, you know, especially if Shifley goes, there's going to be a lot of air, a lot of oxygen in the room for him to breathe and kind of show what he can do. So there's some players ahead in the queue of Cole Perfetti uh, that can kind of, you know, uh, have, have the focus taken off of him. Cole Perfetti, the interesting one for me is that he's always been put in really good situations, like being a winger on a line with uh, uh, Kyle Connor and Pierre-Luc Dubois. That, that gives you a lot of ice, right? The ice is going to shrink for Cole Perfetti, and I, if I'm a general manager, if I'm a coach, I'm going to realize that and realize that his job is probably going to get harder. So it may look like he's not necessarily taking a step forward this year when really just he's getting more responsibility piled on him, and if he's able to tread water, that's him going in an upward direction. So I wouldn't pile too much on him yet. This is you know, an opportunity for Kyle Connor to claim that this is his team. Gabe Velarde's the guy that everyone thinks has more to give, so he's stepping in, trying to take more. Um, there's a lot of players for me ahead of Cole Perfetti in the queue of needing to show that they can do more than what they've shown so far, so I still think he has some shelter. Okay, finish this sentence. This is the, uh, the final one for you. The Winnipeg Jets summer will be a success if blank. Oh, the Winnipeg Jets summer will be a success if they can move the final two players they need to move, Shifley and Hellebuck, get a decent return. Um, the biggest problem in Winnipeg for the longest time, I'll end this where I started, the biggest problem has been and is their culture. They need a culture change. They haven't been able to move on without doing it. The Jets need to get breathe, breathe new life and a new attitude and a new culture into that dressing room. If they can do that, the summer will be a success. All right, uh, one of the more intriguing teams to follow in the offseason. Uh, Sean, listen, all the best this summer. Uh, you've earned a good rest. Uh, I hope you get it. Uh, enjoy friends, enjoy family, and we'll talk next season. Yeah, no problem, and thanks for not bringing up the tooth. That's where I thought you were going in the cab ride right off the bat. <laughs> well, if you want to tell people about the tooth at Men's League, uh, I don't, feel free. I don't need you. Yours. We I don't need 30 you. seconds. <laughs> thanks, Sean. You'll be good, pal. Uh, talk to you later. Bye. Sean Reynolds from the NHL on Sports. Yeah, yeah, he kind of lost a tooth playing men's league. I'm like, why don't you wear a cage? I had to make that decision once. By, I don't like it, but we all make that decision. It's part of ugh, growing up. Ugh. Anyway, the toothless Sean Reynolds. Uh, Peter Bob is going to be dropping by the top of hour two. Mike Russo at the bottom of hour two. So we'll get on the uh, Western Conference's Avs and Wild page. Uh, in the meantime, uh, someone who I'd imagine has been doing victory laps since it was first announced on Thursday uh, that the PHF was being bought uh, by Mark Walters uh, Sports Group and Billie Jean King Enterprises is Jaina Hefford. Um, who's going to have a very significant hockey operations role in this uh, in this new league scheduled to launch in January? Jana Hefford, uh, one of the greatest women to ever play the game, joins me next. The Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Breaking down the biggest stories in Toronto sports. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
Welcome back to the program. Don't forget, top of the hour, Peter Baugh from The Athletic. We'll get on the Avalanche page and all the associated moves, whether it's Ryan Johansson or Ross Colton or Miles Wood or Jonathan Drouin, for that matter, that the Avs have pulled off in the last week or so. So stay tuned for Peter Baugh, top of the hour. Bottom of hour two, Mike Russo uh, will run us through same with the Minnesota Wild and tell us why they're the favorites now to win the Stanley Cup because they have the guy that brings the cup, Patrick Maroon. In the meantime, Thursday, there was a seismic change in hockey when uh, Mark Walter Sports Group and Billie Jean King Enterprises purchased the Premier Hockey Federation. Uh, was announced to both groups in, in dual town halls, uh, each at 8 o'clock Eastern, and the shockwaves are still being felt. And someone who I'm sure has had a smile uh, ever since the announcements were made to both groups is Jaina Hefford, one of the greatest to ever play the game, and will have a lead hockey operations role in this new league when it gets started. Started in January. Jaina joins me now. Jaina, how are you today? I'm doing well, thanks. Well, listen, thanks so much for coming on. And I sort of described it as, you know, you've had this perma smile ever since Thursday. Would that be accurate? Yeah, it's uh, it's an exciting time. And certainly from the PWHPA's perspective, I mean, there's a, a few different announcements that came in one. And um, for the PWHPA, the announcements that you know, we're thrilled about is that, you know, the league will launch in January of 2024 alongside Mark Walter and Billie Jean King Enterprises. And I think it's hard to argue that we could find a better ownership group than that to really do something special for women's hockey. Um, and secondly, that the PWHPA um, had a CBA proposed to the players on Thursday and has been ratified in the last few days. So, uh, you know, everything we've been working for for the last four years has really come to a head over the last few days, and we couldn't be more proud of the work of our group and, and excited for the future. L- let me ask you about that CBA as well, because, I mean, this, this, one is, this one's historic, and, and you know this. This is the first CBA done mm-hmm. before, uh, before a game has been played, so that is, that is new territory. Um, mm-hmm. But you and I have talked a couple of different times about non-negotiables, and I know that when you get into collective bargaining, you know, something that may seem like it's non-negotiable just turns into something that is negotiable. But as close to non-negotiable, what were those things that the women just like, no way, we're not negotiating on this, you know, we're firm on these issues, ABCD in the CBA? Yeah, I mean, I, I, to be clear, I wasn't in the midst of the negotiations themselves. We had a bargaining committee doing that. But, you know, we, yeah. we really believed for a long time, you know, the importance of professionalism. And that's a big umbrella to fall under. Uh, but there were things that, was re- that were really important to us. And, you know, it's around work environments. Um, it's about venues and facilities. It's, it's about, you know, it's less about than it is about, you know, the comp package and the benefits and relocation expenses and per diems and all the things that these athletes are going to need um, for support as they go through um, mat leave, childcare. All of those things are incredibly important. And to be able to put that in place before the league launches is something that for us is really exciting. And I think it's, it shows the alignment of the ownership group and the players that we are committed to doing this right. We're committed to building a foundation of something that is going to live strongly and thrive for years to come. And we're going to take care of the players. And the PWHPA has been a player-led movement since the beginning, and that hasn't changed. And we're excited mm-hmm. to collaborate with this group of owners and really, again, build something special for the future for these players, but also for every young girl that may choose to come and play in this league. 
And I've had a lot of texts about that too. You know, my daughter this, my daughter that, my daughter sees this. I'm sure you've received uh, the same from from people all over the country. Um, I'm curious because this is coming together quick. Like January, it may seem like a long ways away, but there's still a lot of heavy lifting to do between them, between then and now. Um, one of the things that I wonder about is considering how like this is going to be a, this be a, a draft on the horizon, and people you need to get to new mm-hmm. locations quickly. Is there support? Are there provisions in the CBA for for players that need to break the leases? Just to be blunt, like, hey, you know what? I love living here, but I just got drafted to this market. I need to break my lease. Is there something for the players there? I mean, there's nothing that supports uh, decisions that have been made in the past. Uh, however, there are relocation expenses. There's housing stipends moving forward. Um, so. You know, I, I, we understand the challenges that these players are under and players from all over the world that are going to have to make life decisions and choices, and some of those will be very difficult. Uh, but, you know, we can't look back on, on things that have happened in the past, and we're really committed and excited to look forward. And we've done our best to put something in front of these players that will support them um, from the day that was ratified moving forward. And uh, so we believe we've done that, and uh, we'll do everything we can to support those players as they become part of this league. Was it tough to keep the players unified through all of this? And I know that some ended up going to the, to the PHF. I'm not trying to disparage them whatsoever. Everyone makes mm-hmm. their own decision based on their own um, situation. But w- w- was it tough? Because this was, a, a, this was a long game, and B, this is a really big ask um, of, of a lot of these athletes. Was it tough to keep everyone alive? It was. It's, uh, this four years has been, you know, in many ways, you know, I think the most important thing many of us will ever do in the game, and I mean, obviously, that's a hard stop. That speaks volumes, I think. Um, but it was yeah. tough. It was, uh, you know, everybody needs to take care of their own personal situation. But this vision that was set out in 2019, and uh, we had Billy Jean at the table when that happened, and you had this collection of players who were willing to put it all on the side with the belief that they could create something better. And it was a long four years, and we couldn't support them the way we wanted to in every situation. We tried to get more games. We tried to find them more comp. All of those things weren't ideal. They weren't perfect. Players were leaving a lot of cash on the table um, when that would have been an easy decision to make. And I I just, I think it really speaks to the character of these players that some of them will have the chance to play in this league, but that was never um, the motivation behind this. It was really about... We need to leave our sport better. Uh, We don't want to pass on the problems of the past to the next generation of players. And they were willing to fight for that. And they fought hard for it. And, um, you know, the CBA negotiations, although I wasn't in the room, I I know how hard they were, how intense they were. Um, There was a lot of hurdles to get over. uh, But they didn't waver from their beliefs. And um, that that commitment and, uh, you know, these players just they deserve so much respect um, for standing up for what they believe in. And it turns out, you know, what we believed in was possible and we have it now. And, and now we're all excited to work together to, to build it better and stronger. Sounds awesome. Um, I had Stan Kasten on the show yesterday. Now, Stan, people that mm-hmm. don't know, is the president of the Los Angeles Dodgers, uh, co-owner 
of the Los Angeles Dodgers, part of the investment group, um, uh, Mark Walter Sports Group, um, investing in this uh, in, in this new league. Um, you know, I used to deal with Stan when he was the president of the Atlanta Thrashers, and I know and love Stan, and he's an over-the-top personality, and he's a, you know can be a wonderful guy, but he's also a very serious business person as well at the same time. I'm always curious for people that have had to work with him or alongside him, or in some cases against him. What have your experiences with Stan Caston been like? Because I'll be honest with you, when I heard about, geez, Jan, I think it was like six or seven months ago that Stan Caston was going to be part of this, I was like, whoa. That's a heavy, heavy hitter. Yeah, I mean, we're just as we're fortunate to have Mark and Billy Jean and Alana Kloss behind this. You know, Stan has come in in a big way and, and really set the table for this. And I, you know, I have so much appreciation for the work he does while also running a, a pretty big baseball club. So he came in, though, and, and you know, what you, what you get with him is what you see. And he's honest and he can be harsh at times. He's passionate. Um, as I said, the, these negotiations were not easy by any means. There was a number of sleepless nights and challenging moments along the way. And I, I think Stan would agree and he would say the same thing. Uh, but he also said, you know, when we get through those hard times, we're all going to be back together and it's not going to matter how we got here. And, and I think that's exactly true. He believes in this as much as anyone. It's a sense of pride for him that, you know, he's been able to yeah. play his part to get us to this point. And he's excited about the future, too. And, um, you know, I just I, I feel that we're so fortunate that we've got these type of people. We've brought them into the women's game and they're going to be able to help us, you know, elevate the standards of everything we've known to date. Would it surprise you, Jana, if I told you that towards the end of the interview yesterday, Stan Kasten started already talking about expansion? <laughs> no, not at all. He's uh, he's always, <laughs> you know, thinking beyond the moment. There's there's no doubt about that. Um so, you know, we, we have big visions. We, we're not, this isn't a five, a 10, a 25 year league. This is, this is a forever league in our minds. And this is something we're setting the table for. And um, we know there's demand out there, but we also, I think we'll be very strategic about how we tap into that. And we want to ensure that, you know, we keep the, the depth of talent really high and we make sure we prepare, you know, the markets properly to enter them. And um, this year one is, is going to be challenging just based on the timelines here. And we all acknowledge that. And, and we, we realize there may be parts of it that aren't perfect, but we will get to perfect. And, and that's something that the ownership group is committed to. Um, do we have any idea when we'll start to see timelines for things like the draft and the name and the logo and mm -hmm. the schedule, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, I believe there'll be an announcement in, in the next 30 to 60 days that will unveil all those details that we know everyone wants to know um, to your point, the player distribution, is there a draft, is there free agency where the markets are logos and team names. And um, that's the fun stuff. And that's, there's a lot of work, you know, to still be done on that. I can assure everyone that those things have been started to be worked on. Um, but we know we also, we have a bit more work before we're ready to really um, set the table with what this league is going to look like, but it's going to be an exciting day when we're able to do that. Listen, uh, before I let you go, I just want to, like, look, Jane, I just want to give you the floor. Like, whatever you want to say about this, whatever you want to say about the process, I mean, you've been through this from, from day one. You and I have spoken uh, numerous times uh, about this on the air, off the air, all of it. I know how much you've poured into this uh, and have been unwavering. Uh, I just want to give you the floor. Is there anything you feel that you want to say about this? This is the culmination of four years for you, four years of your life. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the way we started this interview and just that, you know, I see this as, um, you know, I, I played a small role because there's a lot of people that have been a part of this. But um, this this is the most, I think this might be the most important thing or significant thing I do in my career. And, and hopefully I'm wrong. Maybe I'll get to do something bigger than this. But this is this is big. Um, you know, I I have kids myself. I have two daughters. And, you know, whether they play hockey or not, that's not the point. I think we are changing society. Um, we're changing people's views. We're opening people's eyes. We're providing opportunities. Um, and I know our game will never be the same. And so um, to, to be a part of something that's significant beyond your own personal motivations is something that's pretty special. And then secondly, to be able to work alongside the people I've had a chance to work with. And I, I, I just can't speak highly enough about the players and specifically, you know, these five players that have been through so much over the last six months in this negotiating process and really not wavering on, on their commitment to their teammates and every young girl that's going to play for years to come um, and their commitment and trust that they had to place for four years on me and others who, you know, tried to say we can get there and this vision can happen and we're going to make it happen and find the right people. And it took a lot of patience and a lot of trust. And those are words that uh, we find it hard to say right now because we've said it for four years over and over again, but it's, it's a special group of players. And um, these, these players have, uh, you know, built a legacy beyond their on ice accolades. And I'm just proud to, to have been able to work alongside them and been inspired by them. Those are great words. Um, Gina, congratulations again. Uh, I know you're not someone that wants to do public victory laps, but uh, I, I know you deserve one on this one. Um, thanks. Best of luck. I know it's uh, a lot of heavy lifting still in the summer, and we know that you're up to it. Um, best of luck this summer and the rest of the planning. Yeah, I appreciate it. and look forward to, to chatting about all the exciting things to come. There's a lot of them. Uh, Jana Hefford from the uh, the PWHPA. Um, so she's going to head up hockey operations uh, for this new league that's starting in January. Six teams, three in the States, three in Canada. Um, not sure how many games are going to play, but it sounds like training camps in November, Christmas break back in January, and then things get going. I believe the name that's being discussed is Professional Women's Hockey League, so the PWHL, the PWHPA, will still exist. That will be the name of the union. Uh, that'll be the name of the Players uh, Association. Uh, as we bring in Matt Marchese here for, uh, for a couple of moments before we give way to the top of the hour and Peter Ba. So, Maddie, I just want to pick up on the conversation uh, that I just had with, uh, with, with Sean Reynolds about the Winnipeg Jets and what Kevin Cheveldayoff faces here. Uh, he thinks the big... I shouldn't say the big. He thinks that one of the most important players next year for the Winnipeg Jets, as far as you know, expectations and you know more responsibility, etc., is Nick Ehlers, who still you know flat out might be well. He's maybe not be. He might not be the fastest player in the league, but he's top five, easy, maybe even top three. When you look at this Winnipeg Jets team, who do you look at and say if the Jets are going to be successful, this guy's got to have a monster year? Oh boy. Um, I think the easy answer would be Kyle Connor just because, you know, he, you know, I, I had Ken Weebon last week and he said, you know, I, I expected yep. Kyle Connor to have 40 plus goals and he didn't, but he still averaged almost a point a game. So I feel like that's kind of just the bar that we've set for Kyle Connor, but I could, I could definitely get on board with, 
with Nick Ehlers because I really like the player. Um, hurt at the end of last year, kind of fell out of favor with the coaching staff, maybe a little bit. Uh, maybe part of that was the injury. But, I mean, the Cole Perfetti one, here's where I think it's Cole Perfetti, and that's if Mark Shifley's not around anymore. Because then somebody's got to take on you know, an offensive role on this team. And Cole Perfetti certainly has the offensive ability to do so. But I'll say it's Nick Ehlers unless Mark Shifley's traded. Uh, I do expect that Mark Shifley's going to be traded. And then my answer changes to Cole Perfetti. Mm -hmm. What's that line about when when the information changes, then I change my opinion? What's that line again? (laughs) That's right. um, Maynard Keynes, who's a famous economist, said, uh, well, when the situation changes, I change my opinion. What, pray tell, do you do? Yeah, and that's the and that's the right answer when it comes to the Jets because I think there's just so many moving parts here. Like that answer could change yeah. if you know they trade Connor Hellebuck and they bring in a player who you expect to have an impact in their first year with the Jets, and why that would be so important because you've traded away your franchise goaltender. So I think I think the answer right now is Nick Ehlers, but that could change two or three times before the start of next season, and I think that. It was interesting what Sean said about how the Jets are going to build the roster and they're going to kind of, you know, make sure that they have a lot of depth. I feel like if Winnipeg is going to have success, that is going to be a very, very important part of their structure. Now, is that a lower key way of saying, look, don't expect superstars here? We're doing this yes. uh, by volume, volume, volume. Yeah. I, I mean, think it's, that's that, the it's way not wrong. It. It's not as if they don't. They, they don't have, you know, stars on this team. Look at Cal Connor. We just mentioned the Keelers, and I think somewhere down the road, um, uh, you're going to see a couple of other players on uh, that team, most notably Cole Perfetti, uh, really start to pop. But it does very much seem like this is going to be a we're doing it by committee year for the uh, for the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, all right, so that's hour one. Hour two is on the horizon. We'll talk to Mike Russo from The Athletic about everything going on with the Minnesota Wild, most notably replacing Ryan Reeves with Patrick Maroon. Does the cup come with him, Mike Russo, we will ask. Uh, but Peter Baugh joins me in a couple of moments. Uh, the Avs looking to get back to the promised land. Made a bunch of signings, a bunch of trades as well. Things are looking pretty good for Colorado. I think so. Merrick Show continues. Peter Baugh, Mike Russo across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Back in a moment. Unrivaled insight, analysis, and opinions on all things Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. So Peter Baugh is joining me here in a couple of moments. Uh, covers the Colorado Avalanche for The Athletic. Want to remind you at the bottom of the hour, Mike Russo stops by. We'll talk about the Minnesota Wild. And by acquiring Patrick Maroon, we'll make the obvious joke about the Stanley Cup. Um, speaking of the Stanley Cup, Peter Baugh is not only a, uh, a, a writer and beat reporter for the Colorado Avalanche. He is also the author of Force of Nature, how the Colorado Avalanche built a Stanley Cup winner. This, of course, would have been last season. The book this year would have been how the Colorado Avalanche exited in the first round of the hands of the Seattle Kraken. But they're trying to change that. Thank you very much, folks. Uh, Peter Baugh joins me now. Peter, how are you doing today, pal? 
I'm doing well. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great, man. Listen, thanks uh, thanks for doing this. Last day of the show for the season. Wanted to make sure that we got you on to talk about the Avs and, and as thoroughly as possible, too, because this is... This is a team that has made some really interesting moves in the offseason. Um, whether it is the Ryan Johansson deal with the Nashville Predators, whether it is finally moving along from Alex Newhook. I mean, Peter, how many trades from how many different teams have you heard Newhook's name attached to them? Um, picking up Ross Colton, which I think is a fantastic move for Colorado. The signing of Jonathan Druan, which is intriguing. Uh, not only picking up Miles Wood, but giving him term. Um, saying welcome back to Andrew Cogliano. Here's Jack Johnson. And the Bo Byram extension is, as we imagine, a bridge. Of all of these things, we're going to cherry pick a couple. Which one surprised you the most? Um, I think probably the term on the Miles Wood deal. I just think if you if you look at the Avs history with unrestricted free agents that aren't coming from their own team, like it, you you haven't seen them give that much term to a player in a long long time. And I think Miles Wood is a I think they're probably they probably view him as a fairly safe bet to at least be a decent third line player or fourth line player and the fact that the salary cap is going to be going up presumably in the next two years by a significant amount, I think they're, they think that given where the cap will be, this is going to be fine for, for the term to, for a bottom six player. But I, I just think when you, when you first get the text or whatever, that it's going to be six years, it, it does take you aback a little bit. I was pretty surprised. Yeah, six year, 15 million. I mean, nobody was getting term on this one, to your point, other than, you know, people that were already on the team and case in point, the New York Islanders who signed everybody um, to term. That's just the way that Lou Lamarillo does it. But, you know, one year for Johnson, one year for Cogliano, a pair for Bo Byram, uh, one year contract for Jonathan Drouin. And the Drouin one to me is is fascinating. As a big junior hockey guy, I can recall that team very well. Uh, best team in junior hockey, that Halifax Moosehead squad, won the Memorial Cup. Um, Nathan McKinnon ends up getting drafted first overall, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Was that, the th- was that really the thinking behind bringing Drouin in? Uh, can they recreate the chemistry that we saw in junior hockey with the Halifax Mooseheads between Nathan McKinnon and Jonathan Drouin, or is there something else at play here? Well, I don't know if it's specifically recreating the chemistry with McKinnon specifically, but I think that they looked at Jonathan Drenn as a guy who was a 50, I think he had 50-plus points twice in his career, early in his career. And he's only 28, and he was a top three draft pick. So all that skill is still there. And he just seemed like a candidate mm. who, who maybe could use a fresh start. I think that that's definitely fair to say. I know he said he felt like he needed one. And I think Colorado is probably a – easier market to play in and find your game than Montreal at points. I think especially as a as a hometown kid, that's got to be tough being in Montreal while you're struggling. And, and so I think this was just kind of a blank slate for him, for a guy who has skill. And then on top of that, familiarity with McKinnon. McKinnon could vouch for him as a person, his character. Um, they got along really well, obviously, when they were with the Mooseheads. I don't think they've been like best. They've, I, they haven't been like FaceTiming every night during their NHL careers, but I think they've like stayed in touch and stayed for like cordial for sure. And then in the past few weeks really ramped up, they, they texted a lot. And I, I think McKinnon's pretty excited to have him in, in Colorado and thinks he'll, he'll be a good fit and will 
um, kind of this, this is a way for him maybe to get his career back on track. And then there is the chance of like, maybe you throw him on a line with McKinnon and, and see what happens. Will there be some of that, that old magic from the Moosehead days? I, I think that this was a smart yeah. signing for Colorado. I mean, it was 825,000 for a, potentially a guy who could maybe even work into your top six if everything goes in the most ideal way possible. Um, with Peter Baugh, there's um, th- there's one deal, and it was you know the the first one here, and it was the Whopper. Now Nashville retains fifty percent. Uh, Ryan Johansson comes in. I think a lot of us thought, oh boy, um, Nathan McKinnon sets a work rate that's really high. I'm not saying that Ryan Johansson doesn't work hard, but Nathan McKinnon is next level. Um, and the Colorado Avalanche play at such a pace. You know, will Ryan Johansson be able to keep up with that pace? And I was talking to one manager in the West who said to me, well, as far as foot speed goes, no, he's not going to be able to keep up with the pace. But this is a really smart hockey player with insane, insane hands. And he's going to be able to do just fine. Did you have the same concerns when you first heard about the Ryan Johansson deal? Pace, pace, pace. Yeah, I think that's the biggest question. I think I, uh, after the trade, asked, um, I, I asked someone about that, and they they kind of said the same thing of of it's it definitely is a, a question mark, but that his hands are so good, he can win faceoffs, which is something the Habs desperately need. Um, he's a good net front guy. Like he he's he's someone who fills a void that the Abs were missing, and so maybe his speed isn't there, but. A lot of people I've talked to think that, think that, especially for this, the price that they got him at, where he's essentially just making four million over the next two years, that it's it's a worthwhile yeah. bet that he's going to be able to to use his skill and hands. And I, I'm just curious of will he fit in on the the top power play unit? Because I'll tell you what, that unit, it, it if they win the faceoff 58 percent of the time or whatever clip Johansson was at last year, that makes such a big difference for that unit in particular, because it felt like oftentimes last year it would be their power plays would be a minute 40 seconds because they'd lose the opening draw and it would have to start with a regroup down at the other end and McKinnon carrying the puck in. So I think yeah. that I, I'm really curious to see how he fits in in that specific role. I think it's a worthwhile gamble, even if the fit isn't seamless. Um, and I think he, he, uh, he could have a chance to be a pretty good player for, for that. I don't disagree. Um, so we got the Bo Byram contract, and you know I've talked about this before. You look at it, and you look at the salary structure, and you know where Byram is is at, and we do have concerns about health and the games played and everything. And it comes in um, on a two year bridge deal at uh, three point eight five as the AAV. Do you have a thought on this one, and do you have a thought on the future of Bo Byram? And by the way. Another year has gone by, and we haven't seen a Samuel Girard trade. I can't tell you how many conversations have either began or ended with, well, they can trade Samuel Girard. Well, they can trade Samuel Girard. you have a thought on either or, uh, or both of those things? Yeah, well, I'll start with Girard, and I think I've, I've mentioned it before, but they, the front office does not want to trade Samuel Girard. Like they, they view the blue line as kind of the engine of the team, and he's a player who, with a group uh, with a team that has struggled with health in past years, he's pretty durable. Um, and I think that that has value. So even if at points he struggled, I think he had that really tough series against Vegas um, two years ago that, that kind of left a lot of people wanting more. 
Um, but over the past, like, I, I thought he finished this past season pretty strong, and given his age and term and the fact of where the cap's going, it's a valuable contract to have. So they don't view it as a contract that they can just unload to clear cap space. If they're going to trade him, it's going to be for something. And, uh, and, and maybe at some point it gets to that point. I think that with Landeskog's injury and the fact that they had $7 million in LTIR money, they, they maybe didn't have to make a sacrifice like that this offseason. But I, I think that they view Samuel Gerrard as a top-four-level defenseman and, and don't want to just give him away. As for Byram, I was uh, that was about I think where I was expecting. I'm sure the Avs probably wanted to get another year or two or something, and and Byram, I think probably wanted more more higher AAV. But I think that this deal was always going to have to be a compromise unless the team was willing to to bet on him long term, and unless Byram was willing to maybe take a lower AAV for a long term deal than he wanted. Um, and so I think that this kind of makes sense that Byram gets a sizable bump. I mean, that's nearly $8 million over the next two years that, that is life-changing money, but also we'll have a chance to yeah. stay at the market again when the cap's higher. And, and that'll be a tough decision at, when that time comes because the abs will be Nico Rantan will need a, a pay raise then and Byram. Like that. There's going to be an interesting spot with the salary cap at that point, but I think that – it, it, it wasn't a shock that that ended up being a shorter-term deal. You know, I can. Uh, I think we all can recall 2019 draft that was in Vancouver, and Joe Sakic, uh, fourth overall, announces the local kid, Bowen Byron, playing with the Vancouver Giants, etc. Big applause. Okay, Joe Sakic is getting the baby face pop. And then later on, with his other first-round draft pick, he takes someone else playing in BC from the Victoria Grizzlies, um, Alex Newhook. And for the longest time, this team was patient and patient, and this guy was going to pop and it was going to happen. And don't talk to us about trading Alex Newhook. We're not interested. Same as Bo Byram. We're not interested. What changed? Like, how does now Alex Newhook find himself on the Montreal Canadiens? Well, I think, one, they got a really good offer. I mean, I think they got um, a late first round pick and an early second round pick. And I think reading between the lines, I mean, you look at where this team is and where Alex Newhook is in his career, he'll probably benefit from being in a place where he can make mistakes and where he can, um, I, I have a little more runway than maybe he does get would have in Colorado. Like he got opportunity certainly in Colorado, but if he was struggling, it wasn't like he could really work through that because Colorado had to win in the present. So I think that maybe Colorado identified someone like Ross Colton as a player that, fits their immediate needs a little bit more and Alex Newhook meanwhile could go kind of somewhere else and they essentially traded Alex Newhook for Ross Colton and a late first round pick which yeah. is a good bit of business when you think about it especially considering you got three maybe Alex Newhook wasn't everything you wanted but he, you got three playoff runs out of him where he was a capable bottom six forward and helped you win a Stanley Cup so they, they I think it just yeah. maybe got to the point where it was time and they thought a guy like Colton could help like Ross Colton's probably a better third line center than Alex Newhook at this point. He maybe doesn't have the potential to be a top six player like Alex Newhook mm. hopefully does, but maybe in the short term, that's the, the player that fits the team's needs a little more. So here becomes the question. then: Is Chris McFarlane done? What still needs to happen to this team? If not, that's a, a great question. I think my 
my guess is they monitor for the rest of free agency. I think if they went into the season with this as their roster, they probably wouldn't be too concerned about it because there's opportunities to to add at the deadline and all that. I, I do think this team could use another top six forward. I mean, you're you're putting a lot of uh, you're you're counting a lot on someone like Jonathan Duran or, or maybe even Miles Wood or Ross Colton to to be a a top six guy, and I think maybe one of them could, but I think it never hurts to have insurance. Uh, I could see them kind of doing what they did last offseason, which is just kind of lingering um, and waiting for guys who maybe didn't get what they wanted on the open market um, and say, and who say, you know what, we're going to sign a one-year deal with a team loaded with talent and, and maybe um, and maybe next summer we'll have more luck. So I don't know if there's a guy who's as obvious out there as Evan Rodriguez, but the Avs have a little bit of cap space to work with. I, I think like a Colorado pipe dream would be if someone like Vladimir Tarasenko was like, I could put up huge numbers in, uh, in Colorado and, yeah. and then sign a one-year deal and get paid next summer. But I, I think that the chances of that happening, just from what I've seen of reports of, uh, I think Elliot reported that the Carolina and Ottawa were in the mix. You haven't really heard Colorado, so I don't know if that's anything that realistically could happen but it, but yeah but it was someone someone I was, uh, uh, sorry go ahead I was, I was gonna say peter like like uh, i was gonna say like the thing about colorado much like carolina you know we always hear oh vegas is attached to all the big names and then it comes out like oh yeah you know colorado made artemi panarin a huge offer or yeah you know colorado made taylor hall uh, an enormous offer like to to me the avalanche are like that sneaky stealth team that you know they haven't you know necessarily gone out and landed the huge fish but they're always all around it and they're always trying to bring in the big names same as carolina yeah i mean i i think you remember like jack eichel i think after he got traded to vegas on a i forget what show he was on but he said he thought at one point he was going to get traded to colorado um colorado and- yeah yeah, obviously that didn't happen, but but you you do see these different these different names that that get linked to Colorado. So I'm I'm sure they're lurking around the periphery of of the kind of some of the higher level free agents out there. I don't know if there's an Evan Rodriguez this year that's going to come to them on a cheap deal, but I think that whether or not this team is done now is kind of a it's almost a moot point because they're not going to be done when it comes to the the trade deadline and, and kind of throughout the season, they'll, they'll keep monitoring things. Cause I do think probably a little more top six punch would, would go a long way. And, yeah. and then you're maybe not <laughs> counting on Jonathan Duran and Nathan McKinnon to, to reignite some old chemistry. <laughs> Recreate the moose heads magic. Wouldn't that be fun though? Um, if they did kind of have that. Oh, are you kidding me? Absolutely. And I don't think that, the chances uh, uh, are listen, zero. As, I don't uh, think uh, it's a zero percent chance. As a, as a junior hockey guy, absolutely I do. 100% yeah. I do. Like, I love it. Like, I, I love, like, you know, in my head saying, oh, like, one of the best lines I ever saw was uh, Darcy Tucker, Shane Doan, and Jerome McGinley. It's like, okay, so how can we get that line back together? <laughs> you know, you look at... Um, you know, get Martin at, first uh, you know, the Colorado. Knights with, 
Get Martin. Listen, man, with that bomb, firing it up around 110, <laughs> throw Martin Furk into the mix as well. Like, I keep saying, like, okay, how can you get Mitch Marner back together with Christian Dvorak and Matthew Kachuk? Because, man, was that ever a junior hockey line. So, listen, man, like, dude, Peter, that is a sweet spot of the bat for me. I'll I'll entertain that conversation all day long. Um, listen, thanks so much, as always, for stopping by. Not just today, but every uh, you know every time we call this season, man. You're a, you're a really solid dude. You're a great reporter. Um, your book is outstanding, as I've mentioned a couple of different times. You know, I just really want to thank you for always for always picking up the phone when we call because uh, you're the goods when it comes to talking about the abs. Uh, well, thank you very much. You've been very good to me and uh, are a good dude yourself, so I appreciate it. There he is, Peter Baugh from The Athletic, uh, covering the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, should be another, Should be another intriguing summer for the avalanche and i really don't think that they're done yet because for a team like when you're a team that's stanley cup or bust yeah you're not done you're not done until you know until trade deadline is done so we'll see what happens with the abs um mike russo coming up at the bottom of the hour as you bring back matt marquez we get you in here as, as much as possible today um what do you make of the abs and uh, and their and their off-season moves like one of the things that i was yeah, instantly struck by is how quickly it seemed they moved on from Alex Newhook because every time I heard someone talking about a trade with Colorado and they were interested in young players and prospects, it was either Bo Byram or Alex Newhook. And I would always get told, no, they're not doing that. No, they're not doing that. No, they're not doing that. Do you have one of the moves or a couple of the moves from the abs that, that really turned your head, Matty? So I'll start with the with the new hook one. And I'm kind of of the opinion that I don't think Colorado wanted to move Alex Newhook, but the package was too good to pass up. That's what I think. Like, you know, you know, there's the odd time when there's like, ah, I don't really want to move a guy. You gotta blow me out of the water with yeah. a, a trade proposal. I I feel like that's what happened with Alex Newhook because for a team that was really starved on offense, aside from you know, the the McKinnons and the Rantanins of the world, that's a player that yeah. I'm not saying you could bank on him to get into your top six, but certainly a guy that you would have hope to get into your top six. So when you look at it and go, okay, they're going to offer us, and it's not like they offered, you know, pick 31 and, and pick, you know, 61. It was 31 and 37. Yeah. And then there was always, yeah. I thought there was always the chance that they were going to move one of those picks. I thought it was going to be the first, but then it turns out, you know, so you move, Alex Newhook for a first and Ross Colton. I'm like, yeah, I could really get my head around that deal. So I think that was part of it. Um, mm -hmm. The Drew N one for me was the interesting one because the first thing I thought of was exactly what you guys had mentioned was, oh, the Halifax Mooseheads connection. And there is no yeah. question that Jonathan Drew oozes offensive skill. Like he is a sublime offensive player. It, the problem is, is putting it together at the NHL level over the past few seasons. And he's dealt with his own personal stuff. And, and there's a lot that goes along with it. Maybe just getting out of the spotlight of Montreal, you know, the, you know, playing in his home province, all of that stuff, going to Colorado, maybe riding shotgun with Nathan McKinnon. I think there is a lot more uh, reward than there is risk in that deal. It's a cheap deal. As we know, it's a one-year deal, prove it. And he's going to, go out there and try and prove it. If he gets to play with Nathan McKinnon, I mean, it's easy to say, yeah, you're going to mm. put up 50 points playing with Nathan McKinnon, but he has the offensive ability to do it. So I think those are the two things that kind of stood out to me. 
You know, it, it's interesting. I don't think he starts off by playing with Nathan McKinnon. I, I think it's Arturi Lekkonen on that left spot because there's no Gabriel Landeskog. But it is interesting when you look at the avalanche and you say, okay, so up the gut they're going Nathan McKinnon, uh, Ryan Johansson, Ross Colton, and probably Ben Myers. So those are, those are your four centers. You have a look at that second line. Now, I don't know that I want to call Ryan Johansson a reclamation project. You know, he's you know a, a year removed from having the best year of his career. But he'll probably plan a line with, you know, uh, Jonathan Drouin will probably plan a line with Ryan Johansson and Valery Nachushkin. Valery Nachushkin, a reclamation project once upon a time himself, coming over from the Dallas Stars. I am forever fascinated with the reclamation project line. So if this sticks, if this sticks the way that we think it might with Lekkonen, McKinnon, Rantanen as your top line, Drouin, Johansson, and Nachushkin as your second line, I love me some reclamation line action. Maddie, what say you about the reclamation projects? Yeah, I, I think I think there's lots of those guys around the league, like specifically with Colorado, because the one thing that we can say about Colorado is like it's you could go to a lot worse spots. Like Jared Bednar, excuse me, Jared Bednar has gotten the most out of players. Jared Bednar is one of the best coaches in the NHL. You could make the argument that he's, you know, a top three coach in the NHL, especially based on his track record mm. with the with the abs over the past few seasons. But he's been able to get the most out of players. And the American like, League. And the American League. So I, I look at, you know, Arturi Lekkonen is a prime example of a guy that was playing in Montreal. He was kind of toiling on the third line. He didn't get too many sniffs on the first line. Goes to Colorado, and again, yes, playing with Nathan McKinnon, I understand that that's a big deal, but Jared Bednar is also putting him in the best spot to succeed, to get the most out of yeah. Arturi Lekkonen, and he's done a really good job of that. The only the only argument that I would have for the reclamation project line is, I wonder if they want to, at least at the beginning, test the waters with having Rantanen on the second line to balance things out a little bit. I love when McKinnon and Rantanen play together. I think everybody in the world loves watching them play together. I do wonder about giving them yeah. a little bit of balance, which would open the door for a guy like Jonathan Drouin, but I'm I'm a lot more sold on Colorado's forwards now in a sense that I think there's just a higher upside now, whereas last year you looked, and we talked about this before the playoffs started, they were going to have to rely on the stars to carry them because they didn't have the same depth as they had the year before. You know, no Landis Gog, and then there's a plethora of guys yeah. that they're interchangeable, but now it looks like they have depth, and Colorado's going to be good again. There's no question. You know, I wonder about Miko Ranton in the middle. Like, I know that he's lethal, and by the I way, again, too. we always have to point this out. He he had a great, he had a great, like, 55-goal season last year. Like, he had a fan, 105 points. That's a remarkable season. Uh, a lot of it overshadowed by by Nathan McKinnon. But um, I, I wonder if they didn't, if they weren't able to make the, the Ryan Johansson deal or any type of deal to bring in a center, if their fallback plan was going to be, all right, heavy up on wingers, Miko Rantanen, you're a second line, you know, with the exit of JT Comfer. Um, Miko Ranton, you're a second line center now. That's one of the things I wondered about. When I saw the Ryan Johansson deal, the first thing I thought of was like, ah, there goes, but there goes the big idea of Miko Ranton and playing in the middle, which he has before, and he's played plenty, and he's played well. 
Yeah, I, I really thought that that was going to be a distinct possibility because the other thing that we look at is you know, centermen, generally speaking, are just harder to acquire. It just costs more. And Colorado didn't really have true. the, you know, they didn't have the cabinet full of picks and prospects that they did in years past to make that sort of a deal. So they've they've added around the fringes. And, you know, Ryan Johansson at yeah. the number that he's getting, what is it, $4 million? I think there's a lot of teams that would take yeah. that. Absolutely. Just like, you know, how many other teams would be available if all of a sudden Eric Carlson was an $8 million player? Uh, one more thought about Colorado, then I want to move on. Um, I think the answer is incredibly miserable. But what do you think about the idea of playing against Ross Colton and Miles Wood on a line? Because right now that's sort of shaping up two-thirds of what your third line is going to look like. And come playoff time, we always talk about third lines and how vital they are. You know, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, Logan O'Connor that ends up playing on the right side or whomever. Ross Colton and Miles Wood together does not sound like fun to play against, Matt. Yeah, uh, how about no thanks? That's the that's what comes to mind is yeah no thanks don't really want to play against them yeah, no thanks. they're 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 big guys they can skate um, they've got a little bit of an edge to them I wouldn't say that they're like overtly tough but I mean Miles Wood tougher than Ross Colton but they certainly have that little bit of edge to them um, I do wonder about and maybe it's a little too premature but I do wonder about Frederick Olafson on that line to give them a little bit of pace and give them a little bit more speed showed well in the the few games he played with Dallas especially in the playoffs like I thought Dallas, when he came yeah. in when Jamie Ben got suspended I thought he played really well and kind of gave him a little bit of a jump I wonder if that's the guy that ends up on that third line and gives you a little bit of pace hmm. to go along with those two guys uh, I think a lot of players played well when Jamie Ben got suspended too and I don't think that was lost on the organization either nonetheless um hey you know what we're all still waiting for here What's that? Vlad Tarasenko and an Eric Carlson deal and Alex get trade. So, you know, even though the show is going off the air here in about 30 minutes, um, follow us all on the social medias because there is still plenty of still plenty of hockey things to get to. Oh, one thing I do want to mention as well. Um, I probably didn't give this enough concert yesterday. The, um, the Philadelphia Flyers. So the Philadelphia Flyers go out yesterday and sign... Uh, Mark Stahl to the one-year deal, $1.1 million. So the Tony D'Angelo deal with the Carolina Hurricanes, I'm told, is still going to happen. Uh, they have to clear it uh, the year after the trade. A year plus a day after the trade would be July 9th. That's when that can happen because the Flyers are retaining salary. So that's how long they'll have to wait. Um, but I still think that that is happening. Travis Sandheim's name is very much out there. We all know how public that became with the St. Louis Blues' Kevin Hayes decision, or trade rather. Um, that trade got scuttled. Sanheim is still a Philadelphia Flyer, but so one of the things that I always wonder about too is, you know, okay, once your name's been out there very publicly, you know, what's the future for you and that team? And if the D'Angelo deal goes through, we expect it to. If they end up doing something with Travis Sanheim, they already have. You're looking at Rasmus Ristolainen, Sean Walker. Um, who they picked up in the deal with Los Angeles slash Columbus. Uh, Nick Sealer, real good, tough defenseman that John Tortorella loves. And Cam York, who, by the way, switches number to eight today. There's big news in Philadelphia there, which is why, you know, you look at the Mark Stahl signing and you say to yourself, uh, the Philadelphia Flyers might be running out of defensemen here, so they need to start getting some defensemen because D'Angelo is most certainly gone. They've just let go of Ivan Provorov. 
and we strongly suspect that Travis Sanheim might be next, Maddie. Yeah, they called me, but I said I've got a I've got an obligation to be with Jeff Merrick <laughs> on his show. So I told him I said I'm busy, guys. I really can't. No, it's it's gonna yeah, be um, looking for right hand shots. I am a right handed shot too. What a coincidence. Um, That's they, what I'm uh, <laughs> as Lance tells me, not a good one. Uh, I know that. Um, but I I <laughs> I feel I feel for Flyers fans in that it's going to be a long year. It may be a long couple of years. But I have a lot of faith in Daniel Breer. I know this is, you know, this is the first time GM thing and and there's a lot of question marks and, and all of that. But I, I think he's gone about this the right way. I, I really like what he got in return for Ivan Provorov. Um, be curious to see. I mean, the return for Daniel is not going to be super, super high. But, like, there's still things that they can do here. And I, I think they're going to make Philadelphia – a destination for players again because it hasn't been the last few years but i think they're on the right track to doing so yeah we'll see um well we'll, we'll see what that return because I, I i'm with you i don't think the return is necessarily going to be high uh, i think it's going to be a, a prospect probably a college kid uh who goes the um, the other way um, all right, so Mike Russo is going to be stopping by here in a couple of moments. We'll get on the Minnesota Wild page. They swap out Ryan Reeves for Patrick Maroon. Insert the Stanley Cup joke there. I think I've made it enough on this program. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360, Sportsnet Now. Back in a moment. Dive deep into Toronto sports and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkus podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, welcome back to the program here, uh, the final episode of the season. Thanks for being aboard today. Uh, I want to welcome Michael Russo, a good friend of the program, good friend of mine, to the show from The Athletic, covering off the Minnesota Wild, amongst other things around the NHL. Michael, how are you today? Good. Am I the final guest of the season? You are, man. Finish strong. Wow. Finishing with uh, True honor. Mike Russo going out with a bang. Well, listen, and I, I wanted to open up, not by talking about the Minnesota Well, but, uh, I mean, you know how much I love Lou Nanny, and uh, I'm forever in your debt for introducing me to Lou Nanny and taking me out to dinner with Lou Nanny. So, what, Mike Russo, is the latest with Lou Nanny? Uh, I actually talked to him today. His, uh, his grandson, uh, Vinny, who just signed with the Wild the other day, Vinny Letary, uh, is actually getting married this weekend. Yep. Um, and it was pretty cool, actually. Uh, so when Vinny signed with the Wild, he was down in Austin, Texas, at uh, Kevin Hayes' bachelor party. And uh, so I chatted with Lou and, and him that day. And Louie, as you know, is uh, proud of all his grandchildren. And three of them have played hockey oh, yeah. uh, professionally. And, and obviously, Vinny has had a really quality career, uh, both the AHL and the NHL. And so, um, you know, with the Wild's cap situation right now, Vinny's contract actually puts him in prime position to actually potentially make the team out of training camp. And uh, I know Louie is extremely excited about that. And uh, and. I chatted with him uh, yesterday and today about uh, a couple things here. About uh, I'm going on some vacations to some of his uh, favorite places, Hawaii and uh, and Italy uh, here this summer, and he was giving me a bunch of tips and restaurants to go to and all that type of stuff. Oh yeah, 
it's uh, it, it's nice to have him as a uh, as a digital guide. Here, Mike, you got to go here. Mike, you got to go here. You got to eat there. You know, I, I am curious too because the Maple Leafs did this for a while as well, and a lot of teams do it that are up against a salary cap. You know, they'll they'll tell rookies like, look, when you're doing your deal, you have a a, a, a much clearer pathway if you don't uh, if you don't you know uh, try to break the bank with bonuses. You know, if, if yeah. you can if you can have like a, a bonus free contract, your path to the NHL as a young hockey player is a lot more clear. Is that what Bill Guerin is selling as well? We better. Um, you know, I actually feel bad. Like, you know, like Adam Beckman and, and uh Sandy Walker not even bonus ridden. They they each uh, make I think eight fifty five and eight ninety four respectively. That actually uh puts them in a tougher position to make the team than a, than a guy making league minimum right now. And that is the state of the wild here for the next, for the foreseeable future. The wild, especially after the Pat Maroon trade the other day are right up against it. They're going to definitely be one of those teams next year that might have to, um, you know, maybe not even when they're, when they're home, they might not even carry an extra player. Um, they might have to bury uh, NHLers yeah. in the minors. I can definitely foresee a, a, a circumstance very early next season where they're going to have to play a, a man short to get over the cap. Um, they're, they're just that close right now um, after they sign their RFAs. And so um, I do think that that's something that Bill is going to have to start selling to their guys. Um, you know, they're going to try to get, I, I think it's going to be tough, but they're going to try to get Kalen Addison to just accept his qualifying offer for a year. Um, you know, it's just going to be very, very hard for them uh, next year. It's going to be a complicated season uh, up against the cap of the wild. I was going to say how, how much, because and then we'll, just so all of our listeners and viewers know, this is two more years of, of salary cap hell for the Minnesota Wild um, with the uh, the Zach Parisi and the uh, the Ryan Suter buyouts uh, still very much on the books for $14.7 uh, <laughs> million, 7.3 each. That is a $14 million black hole um, in the, uh, the salary cap structure of the Minnesota Wild. So I would have to think then that... I mean, I know you can't really do this in the CBA, Mike, but how much of this is like, hey, Kalen Allison, take your qualifier. We'll get you on the next deal. Yeah, I mean, the problem there is, one, he's represented by Newport, so I don't know if Newport's going to go for that. The other thing is that, it, yeah. you know, I would say that from Kalen's perspective, um, you know, from a morale perspective, uh, he's probably not very happy with the Wild right now, the way that they pushed him aside last season for, for John Klingberg. They basically scratched him 20 games down the stretch and didn't play him in the playoffs. So I don't think there's a lot of, um, you know, good love right now between the two sides. So I just don't know how cooperative uh, Kalen's going to be. Um, you know, there was talk this summer, uh, or really thought this summer, that they would maybe uh, trade Kalen Addison. But I think, uh, you know, in my eyes, um, Bill came to his senses and decided to, that it was way too premature to give up on a young defenseman as talented and skilled as, as Kalen. And the other thing is they need somebody to run their power play next year. And, and you know, I don't think Jared Spurgeon at this stage in his career is a number one power play guy. So Kalen, um, that's where he got the majority of his points last year, and he was a half a point a game player. And so I think it's going to be very hard to get um, him to agree with that. But I will say, even though technically it's not allowed, Bill Guerin has shown before that he will make, um, you know, make, make, make it right with players if they, if they cooperate on previous contracts. And again, it's not exactly legal, uh, but clearly they did that with, with Alex Goligosky, <laughs> but by giving him the two year extension, you know, they yeah. signed him to the one year deal at five something because they couldn't afford to give him his cap hit on what would have been a three or four year deal a couple of years ago. And then suddenly, in the midst of him being scratched two seasons ago, he gets a two-year extension at two per. It was clearly a handshake agreement. 
And, um, you know, maybe you can make that, uh, that argument with, uh, with Newport on this one. Uh, what business? I mean, you, you mentioned Kalen Addison uh, already. What business does Bill Guerin have to do this offseason? They brought in Maroon. They mentioned the Addison deal. What more does Bill Guerin need to do here? And Oh, by the way, the place was in stitches, as you all know, when he mentioned Tootsies last week at the draft. <laughs> yeah, uh, they got three restricted free agents. Uh, Kalen probably will be the easy one. But again, you know, they really are banking on him taking his QO. And uh, yeah, I just don't know if, uh, if Newport's going to be up to that. Um, Brandon Duhame's next one, you know, he's going to be in a one, one, one to five, one, you know, 0.5 million dollar, I would think, uh, contract. And then, but the most, uh, significant one that's still not done is Philip Gustafson. Gustafson. Um, there's been conversations between Kurt Overhard and, um, and, and the wild. Uh, obviously both sides have the arbitration lever. The wild showed two years ago that they made, that they would be willing to make the rare, uh, club elected arbitration. And that could happen in two days, um, tomorrow. Uh, will be Phillips' option to uh, to elect arbitration to try to get a one or two year award, and um, you know they're you know from Kurt Overhart's perspective, I mean Philip had a career year last year, and um, we're seeing the goalie market just skyrocket here in the last couple of weeks, especially with Aiden Hill and Corpusalo and and goalies like that. Um, so he, but but the reality is that the Wild do not have an infinite amount of cap space right now. They are banking on him to be in the three one to three five range. And they just can't afford much more. And if it goes much more, the Wild are going to have to make significant trades to try to get under the cap. And so I still think that at some point this summer, uh, we're going to have to see Bill Guerin uh, get, make a little um, move uh, to try to free up some cap space going into next year to be able to, one, carry a 13 forward, but two, to afford at least one injury um, that will allow them to be able to call up players. And, you know, one, one move I can see the Wild maybe doing is at some point trying to find somebody that would take on John Merrill, who makes 1.2 million, and then trying to go sign a um, a, a defenseman at the league minimum, and that would give them an extra four hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars worth of cap space, or right, which right now would seem like a ton of money for the Wild. I mean, it, when when that cap didn't go up three and a half million, it went up one million. Jeff, it really yeah. wreaked havoc with the Wild salary cap this summer, and um, you know they're going to have to make something uh, happen at some point, whether it's putting an NHL guy in the minors. Or um, or trading whether it's a Merrill or a Duhame or an Addison, somebody something to free up some cap space, especially if Gustafson winds up getting significantly more than they banked in uh, in either a negotiation or an ARB case. Does this team expect Marco Rossi to be on the roster full time next season, or is there still time expected at the American League? Yeah, they are banking on it. I mean, you know, it, yeah, I, I asked Bill Guerin that exact question in Nashville the other day, and. And he basically said that we, it's not like they, quote, need him to, but they are absolutely banking on him making the team. The problem is he made the team last year. They put him right on the fourth line despite leading the league in preseason points. And obviously he did not uh, uh, produce, and they eventually felt that he wasn't ready, and they sent him the minors around Thanksgiving. And they really never called him up again until the end of the year when, it, when you know, they, they barely, you know, when, when uh, to me it was too late for him to make any sort of impact. And then the playoffs, when Eric Sinek got hurt and Hartman was playing hurt, they didn't even think of putting him in the lineup. They they put Sam Steele at, at number one center rather than putting a guy like Rossi. So they need him uh, to come to camp ready. What's really cool about this kid is he's always, you know, in, incredibly competitive and determined. 
and he's spending all offseason here in Minnesota. He, he After the World Championships, he spent a couple weeks in Austria and Switzerland, but he came back um, a couple weeks ago, and he plans to spend here all summer working out with their strength coach, uh, skating with their skills instructors, and, uh, and, and people like that. And I think it says everything about his want to be uh, not only an NHL player, but here in Minnesota. And, um, you know, they, they, to me, though, it is then un- incumbent on the organization to put him into a position to succeed next season. And that means coming out of camp and not throwing him on the fourth line. That means putting him in a second or third line role. And there's definitely options to move some players around and give him that opportunity. And then if he doesn't, if he doesn't take advantage of it, then it's on him. But last year, I felt that it was more on the organization than him. Uh, okay. Reeves out, Maroon in, <laughs> to which Mike Russo says what? Well, I think it was a good move. I mean, look, the Wild didn't want to go a third year with, with Ryan Reeves. They barely wanted to go a second year with Ryan Reeves. But I think they were willing to do that because Bill Guerin values him that much and the energy that he brings to this team and the physicality and, and, the, and the Reeves factor uh, that swagger they bring. It obviously couldn't be worked out because of their salary cap situation. I personally think it was the right move to let him go. I think three years for him would have been way, way too uh, risky. Um, but Maroon at eight hundred thousand, it's it's a good, it's a to me a good move if you're Bill Guerin and you value that role, which he does. He feels that Maroon will help bring him into the fight, will bring that swagger that Arives had, not just on the ice but in the locker room. You know, you lose Matt Dumba to free agency. I think that we're going to see him sign uh, somewhere in the next couple of days. I think Arizona is the team that that's looking at him hard. Uh, he off seasons down there a lot. Um, and uh, I think that that is, uh, makes a lot of sense. And because you lose that energy, then you lose Reeves. And these are two locker room guys, loud guys, hilarious guys. Um, I think that, that you bring in a maroon and, and you hope that, that he will be able to uh, be functional at this stage in his career. Again, it, to me, it's a riskless move at 800K um, to bring him in onto this team. Yeah, how how bizarre is it going to be, Mike? We've talked about this before. How, how bizarre is it going to be not having Matt Dumba on this team? I know every year there's a trade rumor yeah. about Matt Dumba, and every deadline that rolls around, like I don't know how many times he was traded for Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Every year we're saying, oh, it's going to be Dumba <laughs> for Hopkins, Dumba for Hopkins, take it to the bank. But how biz like just from uh, from the the from the team point of view, from the fans' point of view, how weird is it that Matt Dumba is not going to be there next year? It's going to be extremely weird. I mean, you know, this is somebody that was a lifer here. Um, as you mentioned, survived two uh, expansion drafts. Um, he was, I mean, rumored yeah. for Nugent Hopkins. He's been in every Besser conversation. Um, remember, before, remember on December 1st, the year that Nylander was uh, having his contract dispute with, with, with uh, Toronto, yeah. I mean, there was lots of rumors that Dumba, and I, I, it's not rumors. I mean, it was, there was a Dumba-Nylander trade on the table. Um, and then on December 1 here in Minnesota, coincidentally, uh, Nylander signed the contract. Um, so there, it's been forever. Um, he is the life of the party in this organization. Uh, he is a lightning rod of criticism for myriad reasons with the fan base here. And, and um, But I think that the Wild fans are really going to realize, um, you know, this is going to be a perfect example of uh, be careful what you – you know, it's going to be a perfect example of you realize – uh, how valuable a player is to an organization once he's gone. Um, the competitiveness that he brings, the energy that he brings, the battle level that he brings is like nothing else that they have, at least on their blue line right now. Is he erratic at times? Absolutely. Um, is he the same offensive guy that he was pre-torn pectoral muscle in 2018? Um, no, not at all. 
but defensively in the second half, he really came into his own. And um, I think that's going to be missed on this blue line. Now, Brock Faber is stepping into the, into the, um, in, into the lineup. He's going to be paired with Jonas Bourdain next year, which was Dumba's longtime partner. Um, Faber looks like the real deal, but the reality is he was also sheltered a lot in the playoffs by Dean Evison. He was going out there against, you know, fourth line or fourth line, third defense pair, pretty much every single shift in the playoffs against the Dallas Stars. And now he's going to be going out against uh, all the top, top guys because that's who Jonas Brodeen plays with. So next season when Connor McDavid is lined up and Brodeen's first over the boards, Faber's going to be next to him. And so it's going to be a very different story, I think, for Faber to start next season. And I think it's probably going to be a little bit of an eye-opener. And that's something that Dumbo was always able to handle. So it is definitely going to be, a, I think, a shock to the system here to see him in another uniform. Yeah. Uh... You know, you mentioned earlier in the interview, and we'll we'll close on this one. Um, uh, Kalen Addison getting sat down for for John Klingberg. Uh, listen, it it didn't work out great at all for Klingberg in Anaheim. That was a uh, that wasn't a very good team to begin with. But if you're a Toronto Maple Leafs fan and you're wondering, and you don't get a chance to watch the Western Conference, what did you see in John Klingberg last year with Minnesota? One of the scariest defensemen I've ever watched. <laughs> I mean, this is somebody that I used to be a big fan of, but man, is he reckless with the puck. I mean, um, with and without the puck, he just makes very peculiar decisions. I, you know, I really gave him the benefit, and I like the guy, especially personally. He's a tremendous guy. I love talking to him. But on the ice, um, especially in the playoffs, now he was dealing with some injuries, uh, some hip and some abdominal issues. Yep. Um, but man, does he take some unbelievable risks um, that that put his teams in in tough tough positions. And as I mentioned, when he got to Minnesota in that trade, which was essentially a freebie, and I think we see why. Um, you know, he he yeah. like I the benefit of the doubt that I gave him was that all right, it was Anaheim. That's why he is his analytics, why his plus minus, why everything was off the charts poor, but man, it, it really, when he got here, it didn't get much better. Um, and their power play, now it coincided with Kirill Kaprizov's injury. The power play definitely took a turn for the worse when Kalen Addison was shoved to the side for Klingberg. And in, in hindsight, I don't know if Bulgarin would ever mention it. I think it turned out to be not a great move for the Wild and, and wound up hurting them. And at a minimum, Kalen Addison wasn't nearly as bad. <laughs> you know, it was on their their between Klingberg and Addison, it's not like Addison was going to absolutely kill them compared to the way Klingberg did. So, look, um, he's going to have a full off season to reset now, get everything out of his system. We all know that uh, in Dallas he was an incredible performer, but it is just amazing that this guy turned down a, a reported eight-year deal uh, reported by some guy named Jeff Merrick. Um, an eight-year deal is just incredible money, <laughs> yeah. and that is just money that he is yeah. never going to get back. And, man, did Dallas uh, wind up, uh, you know, uh, really. Uh, but that i got to thank Jim Nill every night. Falls, yeah. falls asleep thanking goodness, you know. Yeah. That was when Seth Jones was signing his deal and Darnell Nurse was signing his yep. deal. And I thought John Klingberg said, okay, I'll take one of those. Thank you very much. And it yep. wasn't to be for the Dallas Stars. Uh, Mike, listen, uh, you're a delight to talk to. Uh, I've told you that before. Uh, one of our favorite guests. Thanks, as always, not just for today, but for all season as well. You have a great uh, off season. Have a great summer. Um, wish you many more wonderful conversations with Lou and Annie, and we'll catch up next season, pal. <laughs> yep. All the best to you and your family. Have a great summer. To you as well. Mike Russo from The Athletic covering the Minnesota Wild. We only got a couple of minutes left in the show here. Real quick, Matt Marchese 
as we wrap up another season of this program here. What curiosity do you have about this offseason still? Like Alex DeBrink, it's one of my favorite players. I'm really curious to see where this guy goes. I still think it's going to be Detroit. What say you? I wonder about extension eligible guys. And if we get to a point where teams say, you know what, we're, we're not willing to go down this road right now. We may have to trade the player. I, I look at, you know, potentially William Nylander yeah. as one of those guys. Um, there's a lot out there, a lot of extension eligible guys. So I'm really curious to see if there's one or two big splashes still to be made this summer. Yeah, I, I am curious to see about um, an Elias Patterson contract extension as well. You know, I was—I yeah. I think we all were Im- impressed at how the Vancouver Canucks addressed a few things. Um, the back end, the Oliver ekman Larson buyout was a tough one. I get it. It's a tough one for everybody to swallow, for the player, um, for the team, for the owner, who's got to swallow all that money as well. Um, but you look at the players that they brought in, like the the Vancouver Canucks, and you know how much of a big fan of Carson Soucy uh, I am. Like this is this is a team that improved itself defensively, and I think they're going to be a much better penalty killing team now than they have been in the past little while. So we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll see what happens there. Um, to everyone who took part in the show all season long, um, Jen Rolnick, our camera operator, great work all season long. I'm not easy to make look good, uh, but Jen, somehow you do it. Thank you. Uh, Lance Kennedy playing the keyboards. Uh, thanks, as always. You're the best in the biz. And Matt Marchese, producer slash soon full-time host. So the business card says right now, soon it will just say host. And everyone who either listened or watched, whether it was for a couple of segments, maybe it was just for Elliot off the top, maybe it was for a random player of the day, some of the interviews, all of it. Thank you for spending part of your time uh, each and every day, each and every week, each and every month with us here on this program. Show returns next season. Hopefully, have a great summer, baseball, whatever it is for you. We'll talk in the fall. Have a great summer.